Well, uh, we're, we're in the book of Revelation. You can turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. I'll eventually get there. Uh, and uh, this is actually lesson 13 as we study the book of Revelation together. We're just going verse by verse. We've covered all of chapter 1 in the book of Revelation where John uh, introduced the fact that he was on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea there in the Middle East. And he, it was because of the Word of God. And uh, uh, he was exiled, and, and Jesus appeared to him while he was uh, in exile on an island and revealed to him what the future looked like. The word revelation, uh, apocalypsis, means unveiling, and, and the revelation is an unveiling of the future. And it's just an amazing thing that God has done to give us this book. Chapters 2 and 3, uh, we looked at the seven churches in the book of Revelation and, and uh, what Jesus said to those seven churches, which were in modern-day Turkey. Uh, perhaps on a postal route and perhaps uh, John oversaw those churches. What Jesus said to those churches unusually was put in print for the entire church age to read. And I believe it's things that he wants to speak to us in the 21st century, even though that happened in the first century. So we covered chapters 2 and 3. We're, we're just getting into to chapter 4. And um, so I just want to get right into this. Um, um, Again, for the last uh, couple of sessions, I have just simply gone over a timeline. I thought it important before we started Revelation chapter 4, just to talk about a timeline of what things will look like, uh, what I can see from the scriptures. There seems to be uh, a fairly clear uh, semblance of a timeline of, of how things are going to happen and kind of when they're going to happen. You know, when the Bible talks about Jesus uh, coming again, the Greek word for their parousia, uh, that coming again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's really talking about, uh, it's talking about an event that has segments to it. It's not just a, a one-time appearing, it's a gradual series of events that, uh, that cumul accumulate into Jesus eventually being here. And so we've talked about that at length, and we've kind of talked about a timeline, we've uh, Matthew 24, Jesus, uh, his disciples asked him what it would look like before he came back to earth. And, and, and really, I think we're in, uh, in the Braxton Hicks contractions phase of, of Jesus' return. A, a woman who is pregnant, uh, going to have a baby in a while, after a while. Uh, she starts with those small contractions. And then they get stronger, 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 stronger uh, the closer she gets to her delivery day. And that uh, seems like what's going on on earth right now. We had a really strange March. We've got a strange April. We're dealing with this coronavirus. I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I, uh, I don't know that it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, except that Jesus said in Matthew 24, there would be pestilences. And this is uh, infectious diseases, one translation says. And this uh, definitely is, a, is a, perhaps a fulfillment of some of that. I think really it's a dry run of things that are to come. So we talked about the birth pangs. There's seven years of time. Uh, that God revealed to Daniel that are yet to be fulfilled where God deals with the Jewish race. And we kind of talked about a timeline of what that looks like. Jesus gave it to us again. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, birth pangs. And he talked about wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, earthquakes, and, and uh, uh, all kinds of things like that. And uh, that's the first few years of that seven years. The Antichrist... Uh, the person the Bible calls Antichrist will make a, some kind of a, a peace treaty, a covenant with Israel. 
And, uh, and that seven-year frame of time begins. In the first part of that, Jesus called it birth pangs. He says, these are the beginning of sorrows, or these are the birth pangs. And then verses 9 through, I think, 28 in Matthew 24, uh, the Antichrist is ruling in the Middle East, perhaps in other parts of the world as well. He turned coats against Israel and uh, the Jewish race and desecrates the rebuilt Jewish temple. And then there's a time of serious Serious persecution that Jesus said, except those days be shortened, no saved flesh would be, no, no elect, no believers would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days are shortened. And that's called what the Bible calls the great tribulation. A lot of people call those seven years the tribulation. You really don't find that term, the tribulation, in the Bible. People call it that. It's really Daniel's 70th week. In Daniel 9, 27, we've talked about that in weeks past. You can look that up. Nonetheless, part of that is called the Great Tribulation. It's a very serious time of excessive persecution. We'll talk about that in lessons to come. And then there are cosmic disturbances that Jesus mentioned where the sun darkens, the moon darkens, the stars don't give their light. And, and that is a sign that the rapture is about to occur. Matthew 24, 29 through 31 Jesus causes the angels of God to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. The scripture says there in Matthew 24, that's the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints. And then after that, Revelation chapter 8 talks about uh, trumpets sounding, uh, seven trumpet judgments that come, and then there see uh, uh, bowl judgments later on in, in the book of Revelation that come after that. And those those uh, actually happen during what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. It's a, it's a time where, where the earth changes from the first part of this seven-year period where we have the wrath of the Antichrist and he persecutes Christians and Jews. And then it gets intense with the Great Tribulation. And then, oh my goodness, then, then after that the rapture occurs, the, the churches whisk off the earth and then the day of the Lord begins. And the day of the Lord, the last two lessons, we talked about it in detail. You can listen to the video and you have the notes there as well. The day of the Lord is really when the wrath of God is poured out against the sinfulness of man. So, you know, we've talked about that in, in fair detail the last two. So, you know, again, it's, it's good to have that t uh, the idea of the timeline. Again, I want to encourage you. The encouragement we have from all of this is, is God so John uh, John on the Isle of Patmos, the future, the good news we have is we're not going to be here for the worst things that are coming. Now, we may think that the coronavirus is a terrible thing. It's shut down the whole world. Honestly, all this child's play as compared to what's coming on the earth uh, during this time period that's spoken of in the book of Revelation. And it's, it's really, it's a, it's, a, it's a clarion call. Perhaps God is calling the world to wake up. Maybe he's given us some time. You know, thankfully the American government's putting a check and everybody's uh, in, uh, putting some money and everybody's checking account. Isn't that nice? I mean, the government's paying you, <laughs> okay? And, uh, you know, we're believing God and, and, and helping small businesses and all this and that and the other. Maybe this is a time that God is enabling us to, to do some introspection. Are you right with God? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you ready for eternity? Maybe those are the, some of the questions that we can be asking ourselves during this time. Uh, then we're going to be over this one of these days. And, 
And uh, it would be good now to, to let that introspection happen. Take some time. Uh, get off by yourself and, and say, Lord, uh, do, I, do I really know Jesus? Am I really walking with God? Of course, I know most of the people at Victory Church probably are, but maybe you're watching and you don't know the Lord and you're afraid. You know what? God loves you, and, and he's got a, a great future for you in heaven if you'll just bow your will and bow your knee to his son, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and ask him to come in your life and, and cleanse you and help you. You know what? This is a great time to do that. Uh, the book of Revelation really is about last things, and it's really about God cleansing the earth of all of the negative elements that came upon the earth after Adam and Eve sinned. God put Adam, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, in the Garden of Eden, and they sinned against God. Satan became the god of this age, and uh, there's a curse on the soil, on the earth, and uh, Earth is full of all kinds of uh, things that harm human life. The thief, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Book of Revelation is about, all, is about Jesus coming back. And in his coming, God is cleansing all of the negative elements off of the earth. And God is the ultimate authority, the ultimate judge. And he's going to make every wrong thing right. We go through life when we sometimes experience personal injustices or we see things in culture. We think that's not right, that's not fair, that's unjust. When Jesus comes, he makes everything right. And that's what the book of Revelation is, is really, really all about. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is in your notes. Philip's translation I found many years ago I love. For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. And it's this he purposed in his sovereign will. That all human history should be consummated in Christ. That everything that exists... In heaven or earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Jesus came first as the, the lamb of sacrifice. Jesus comes the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is, uh, in his wrath will be displayed. And all of the injustices of the ages will be made right. Satan will be kicked off of this planet uh, for eternity and uh, will go to his eventual doom. God will, uh, will cleanse the earth of all of the sin elements. The curse will be removed. There'll be a new heavens and new earth. And we've got a great future ahead of us. That's what I think about. That's exciting. So that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Let's go right uh, down right now to Revelation chapter 4. We're just going to go verse by verse tonight, make some comments, and I want to do this throughout the rest of the chapters of the book of Revelation. I know maybe we'll be done by the time Jesus comes back. If not, maybe Jesus can talk to us in heaven. We'll, or maybe he'll let me finish in heaven. I don't know. But anyway, we're going, we're going to give it a good shot while we're here. So Revelation chapter 4 um, really uh, shows God, watch this, as the creator, the owner, and the sustainer of the universe. Revelation chapter 4 shows that God is the ultimate authority over all things. Everything in the universe comes under his jurisdiction and his control. I mean, now people are wondering, well, are there really flying saucers? Are there alien entities? Are there all these spooky creatures? And are they from other planets? Hey, 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 forget about all that stuff. God is the ultimate authority. And if there are these other beings from other planets, so what? They come underneath him, and they have to bow to him. The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So don't be afraid of all that stuff, and don't waste your time on it. 
No, God's the ultimate authority. And that's what Revelation chapter 4, this whole chapter. Boy, before we get into chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, and all this stuff begins to happen, Revelation 4 really shows that God is the ultimate authority over all things. He's the owner of all things. And he sustains all things with himself. Now, that's an amazing thought. Let's go to Revelation uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version uh, just because it's easier uh, with all the various translations. It's easier to just to go back to a standard. So I'm going to use the New King James. And here it is in your notes. It's bolded. After these things, uh, John said, after the, the things of, of uh, chapters 2 and 3 and, and uh, the seven churches in, the, in Asia Minor, he says, after these things, I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So here, um, John saw a a door standing open in heaven. Now, Now, somehow John got into the spirit realm, and he saw through the natural world into the next world. This word door, I've got it in the notes here. I'm not going to take time to cover it very closely. I've got the Strong's exhaustive uh, dictionary of of, uh, New Testament words there as as well. And the Strong's number there for door, it really could be a portal. There are are openings into the spirit realm. And let me just say this about John. Um, Here he was, and somehow he was able to see into heaven. Now that is the gift of the spirit, discerning of spirits, that came into manifestation in his life. And, and with the gift, the discerning of spirits, you're able to see into the spirit world. And that gift is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. There are nine spiritual gifts that operate in the lives of people that are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And one of those is discerning of spirits. The word discern means to see into the spirit realm. I've had people say, well, I've got the gift of discernment. No, I say, no, you have the gift of suspicion. There's no such thing as the gift of discernment. You know, every believer, as you get in tune with God, His Word, pray, get sensitive to the Holy Spirit, there's a natural spiritual discernment. How many know that all of us ought to have? And you can be in, uh, around someone or in a situation, and you can discern whether it's, you know, above board, it's on the up and up, or there's something else going on behind the scenes. Or you can be talking to someone, and you can feel inside, mm, there's more here than meets the eye. Well, well, you know, that's just a discernment we all have. But how many know that love believes the best of every person? So if you've got that gift of suspicion, ask God to deliver you from it and love people. And if you're you're discerning, you're going to love them without saying anything about it, most probably. But nonetheless, this gift, discerning of spirits, literally seeing into the realm of spirits. Now, this happened both Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, I think I've got in the notes here, Abraham saw the Lord. Moses, uh, the discerning of spirits, came into manifestation. He saw the Lord. Um, uh, Daniel saw the Lord. Elijah saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. The, many of the prophets in the Old Testament actually had discerning of spirits come into manifestation. These, these, uh, these gifts operated both Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, here, here in Revelation chapter 4, uh, somehow this gift was manifest and John was able to see through a portal, a door into the spirit realm. And, uh, and he, he saw 
and he saw heaven there, and, and there was God. Uh, what we don't know if, is if he had an out-of-body experience uh, where he went into a trance or something like that. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, he didn't know if he was in his body or out of his body, but, but he saw things he couldn't talk about. And it could be that John here, we, we really don't know, find out when we get to heaven, you know, he could have... Uh, he could have had, had a, went into a trance or whatever. Or it could have just been discerning of spirits. He was there praying. Nonetheless, uh, he was in the spirit and, and the spirit of God came on him. And, and let me say this. I want to say something. It says here there was a door in heaven or a portal in heaven. Let me make a comment here. We're, we're, we're coming into an era of time where God wants believers to become more sensitive to him than they ever have been before. And, and y'all, a key to walking with God and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to use you in those nine spiritual gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning or seeing into the realm of spirits, the gift of faith, the gift of working of miracles, gifts of healings, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, the key to those gifts manifesting. Is, is learning how to get like John did in Revelation 1.10, in the Spirit. Because when you, and how do you do that? Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. If you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you ought to be praying in the Spirit every day. Uh, September 12, 1976, you've heard my story. I, uh, I was a young man, not quite 18, just a, month, a little less than a month before my 18th birthday. I got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. I was a Baptist person. I didn't know anything about this. Nobody taught me about this. But I received that experience. Changed my life every day since, since that day way back in 1976. I've spent time praying in the Spirit. Here's my experience of life. The more you pray in the Spirit, the more sensitive you get to spiritual things. The more you pray in the Spirit, you know, it's like there are varying degrees of openness to the spiritual world. Now, now let me say this. Uh, it's not possible for you to pray because you want to have an unusual experience to tell everybody about and have that happen. If you do that, you're really dumb. If you do that, demon spirits can accommodate you and get you off and can deceive you. Nobody should ask for any supernatural experience. You know, young believers often, you want to see something, often they want to see something that's unusual or something they've never seen. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't pray. You know, as a little boy, I thought, wonder what it'd be like to see an angel. Well, you don't want to know it scared the bejeebies out of you. You know, just thank God that you're saved. You're walking with Jesus. If God wants you to have an unusual experience, well, then he'll let you have it when he's ready, not, not when you think you need it, all right? So, you know, don't take what the Bible says here and say, wow, I can have this ultra-wonderful experience. No, no, when you're in the Spirit and when God wants you to, these kinds of things can happen. I just wanted to make a comment here that as we pray, there, the heavens can open to us in varying decrees. And I'll just say this, the more you pray, the more sensitive to the Holy Spirit you can be, and the more that God can use you in spiritual gifts to minister life to others. So uh, that should encourage all of us. I mean, work on your prayer life. You know, spend that time. I started out with two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes praying in the Spirit. Praying in other tongues. Worked up to where I generally now pray about an hour a day. Sometimes I take more time than that. The more time you take, the more sensitive you become. But if you want God to use you to minister life to others, let a door open where the heavens open above you and God can minister life. John did that here and uh, 
he had quite an experience. Revelation 4, 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. So that portal opened, that door opened. He saw uh, the throne, the chair where God sits, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat on the throne sat there uh, was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. This is an amazing thing. John actually uh, saw God in heaven seated on his throne. What What an amazing thing for anybody to have happen. And it's really amazing what he saw. He saw, it says here, he saw a, a jasper and a sardis stone. Jasper stone is a multicolored stone comprised of colors like brown, yellow, red, uh, green, orange, uh, just multicolored. And then the sardis stone is generally red. He saw the colors, perhaps the colors of the rainbow. We mentioned that there was a rainbow around the throne. When I was uh, studying this, it came to me that 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light. And if you know anything about light, you can put light, if, if, the, if, if pure white light is refracted through a prism, then all of the elements of white light show up through the prism. There are seven, ba- white light is comprised of seven basic colors. I've got it in the notes, you can see it right there. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And that's all in, all in light, but when it's refracted and separated. And, and you know, I got to thought, thinking about that. God is light. Bright, white light. And you know, when God created the universe, when he created the earth, look what he did for you. When you walk outside, there's some beautiful colors. You see all of the beautiful colors, the, all of the hues of Blues and yellows and reds and greens and the grass, the fields, the, the, the trees, the shrubs, the flowers. They're all gorgeous and beautiful. What should that remind us of? Those are the colors that, that come from God. They come from his presence. He painted the earth with what he is. So that when you go outside, you're confronted with him. That's incredible. I don't know about you, that blesses my life. That's how much he loves us. It could have been a bland black and white world, but God painted the world to look like him. He says here in this verse, there was a rainbow around the throne. Not only were there the colors, but then there was a rainbow uh, around the throne. And I, I got to thinking about the rainbow. Usually when we see a rainbow, it's a half circle. You see it from one end of the horizon to the next. And uh, see, when I said that, I, we got to Ethiopia one time, one of the churches we had just built. No kid, we were on the road. And we had just driven up. We had just built the building for this little church in the middle of nowhere. Right when we got there and looked at the church, over the church, from one part of the horizon to the other was the biggest rainbow you've ever seen. I thought, God, how can you make that up? So on earth, you see the rainbow from, you know, a half rainbow. And pilots can tell you, those that go way up in the sky, you can look down and the rainbow is a circle. And, and so he says here that there was a rainbow around the throne. So he saw the full rainbow all the way around the throne of God. And, uh, you know, the rainbow, 
uh, God revealed that first of all to Noah in his day that they would no, never, and the rainbow reminded Noah that there would never be a catastrophic flood to hurt the earth again. Genesis chapter 9 Verse 13, listen to the verbiage. God said to Noah, I set my rainbow in the clouds and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living thing of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will look on it to remember, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. So, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, amazing that God looked up into heaven, saw the throne of God, the beautiful colors, but when he saw the rainbow, what, what could God have been showing him? I've made a covenant with mankind. Not only will the earth never be flooded again, but perhaps in John's day when, John, when God showed John that rainbow, when he looked up into heaven, he was saying, I've made a covenant. And I'm going to make sure that my people are okay when all these things later on that I show you will happen. Remember, I've made a covenant. God's promise never to touch the earth with a catastrophic flood again. But the judgments that are to come in the book of Revelation have to do with fire. And we'll look at that a little bit later. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 4. And then it says here, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. The next thing that John saw here were 24 souls. So here's the throne of God in the middle. Then he saw 24 thrones around the throne of God right there. And um, what is not clear, what's not clear is, is who was sitting on in those 24 thrones. And there's a lot of speculation as to who they were. Some people think that those 24 elders are comprised of, of some of the raptured saints uh, who were leaders um, uh, who are now who are in heaven during this time in Revelation chapter four. Let me just and let me take a moment here and say there are those that believe that uh, that the rapture of the church occurs with Revelation chapter four verse one, where where John heard "Come up here," and and many people, many Bible scholars say, well, that's the rapture of the church. The problem is there's nothing in Scripture that definitively says that that is the rapture of the church. And the, the general thinking of that is, well, he just talked about the churches, uh, uh, churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, in Revelation 2 and 3. But you never hear of the church again past there. And then Revelation chapter 4, when he said, come up, must be the rapture of the church since the church is not mentioned in Revelation again. Well, you know, that doesn't mean that that was the rapture, so... Uh, again, if you look at the sequence of events through, uh, through the book of Revelation and then what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that that you could say that that is the rapture of the church. A lot of people disagree with me. You may be watching and disagree with me. I'm cool with that. I'm just saying, I just don't, I just don't see 
that that's the rapture of the church. So some people think, again, it's raptured saints. Other, others believe that these 24 elders may be 24 courses of the Old Testament priesthood. Others think it, that the 24 elders may be comprised of, of uh, the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and then the 12 apostles from the New. The truth is, the truth is we really don't know. And many, many Bible scholars believe that these 24 thrones have angels sitting in them. The problem, and, and you know, a lot of really wise people think that, cherubim, seraphim, that, that really uh, 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 promote the holiness of God. It could be, but the problem with that is these people are clothed with white robes and they have gold crowns on their head. And I'm not going to take time tonight to read it, but in the notes, I've got one, two, three, four, five scripture that talks about the white robes. Some of the places mention the crowns. And these are people, these are humans that have been redeemed. So it looks like this, uh, this is some kind of council. We don't know who they're comprised of that, are sat ar- that sit around the throne of God. And uh, it looks like there could be some element of redeemed people. We don't know who they are. You know, uh, the Old Testament patriarchs, when, when Jesus was resurrected on a resurrection day in Matthew 27, they were resurrected back into their glorified bodies. And when Jesus went to heaven, they went to heaven. So, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, it could be a mixture. We, we just don't know. Nonetheless, there are 24 thrones around the throne of God. Verse 5, it says, And from the throne, watch this, proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices. Then it says, Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So again here, it's, he says, thunders, lightnings, voices. Now this speaks, and I'll show you from Scripture, of the just and judicial righteous judgments of God that are coming to the earth in the book of Revelation where God makes all the wrongs right. What we've got to understand that there is a justice side to God. And, you know, we're celebrating uh, Jesus' resurrection on Easter and we're celebrating Jesus being made our sin on the cross. And what, what, uh, what people today don't realize is that God doesn't forgive us because he loves us. He does love us. God forgives us because someone paid the penalty that was due for our sin, and his name is Jesus. That's the reason, the literal reason that God forgives us. Underneath that is his love, but his love is based on justice. And in the future, the justice of God is, is displayed. And here it is, lightnings, thunders, Revelation 8, 5. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth. There were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And that's, again, judgment. Those are the, the trumpet judgments which occur in Revelation, beginning Revelation chapter 8, during the late day of the Lord, judgments. Revelation chapter eleven nineteen. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. There were lightning, lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, great hail again, judgment. And then uh, Revelation 16, 18, during the bold judgments. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and a great earthquake. And uh, such a mighty and great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth again. Again, these thunderings and lightnings are, 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 are spoken of in the context of judgment. So here, from the throne proceeding, lightnings, thunderings, voices. What was God telling John? Judgments are about to commence on the earth he saw God in all of his glory. 
saw him in the rainbow of colors, and then he saw him with thunderings and lightnings. God is coming to judge the world. The lamps of fire, it says he saw there, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, that doesn't mean that there's seven Holy Spirits. No, there's seven nuances to the Holy Spirit. In fact, listen to Isaiah 11 too. I love this. Uh, here's here's seven, seven ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself. He, he manifests as the Spirit of the Lord, number one. Uh, it says, the Spirit of the Lord, speaking of the Messiah, shall rest upon him. And then the Spirit of wisdom, number two. The Spirit of understanding, number three. The Spirit of counsel, number four. The Spirit of might, number five. The Spirit of knowledge, number six. And the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, number seven. Seven spirits of God. You know, it's amazing that, that there in the, the temple tabernacle and then the temple uh, that Solomon built, there was the menorah. And that, that was a, a, a seven candled lampstand had seven fires seven seven candles they represented the the sevenfold spirit of god it's just amazing the bible the bible just amazingly works together and so again uh that's talking about the holy spirit revelation 4 6 before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures Full of eyes in front and back. Now, you know, you know, you're going to see some things here in the book of Revelation. It's kind of weird and spooky. You mean they got more than two eyes? Yeah, they got them all over, all over. Uh, I mean, what would you do if you saw a being and eyes are everywhere? It's like, man, you're being watched, right? I mean, it's kind of strange, but that's what it says. That sea of glass, let's start with that. What is this sea of glass? It's like a mirror probably referring to the all-knowing eyes of God uh, that in their pristine purity, they see everything. God knows everything. And it says a sea of glass, speaking of God's calmness, his steady nature. His, it's clear, it's firm. The idea is he is there. He's not going anywhere. He's not moved by anything. He sees all and he knows all, which makes him able to be a righteous judge. And uh, in fact, Revelation 15, 2 talks about that sea of glass again. It says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. We'll talk about all that later. Standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And again, and again, uh, it's talking about God's stability as the person who knows all and is able to righteously judge the earth. And uh, uh, in the notes, I'm not going to take time to read that. Uh, I, I got something imp- interesting from the commentary, Jameson Fawcett Brown, which has been around for years and years and years. Just something interesting about the sea you can look at on your own time. Then the bottom part of that verse says, In the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Some translations calls them, call them beasts. Well, the Greek word there, zoe, it means life. And uh, so living creatures is probably the best way perhaps to translate there. And uh, the, these living creatures just envelop the throne of God on all sides. And it says there are four of them. And again, they have eyes all around them. And um, again, I, I think they depict the fact that God sees everything. He knows everything. There are two natures of God. He's number one, omniscient. 
which means all-knowing. He knows everything. Just think about this as a kid. My pastor in the Baptist church I attended, uh, he would say, God is omniscient. And I'd go home and say, Daddy, what's that? That means God knows everything. And I thought, wow, here's a person that knows everything that can be known. And then God is also omnipresent. That means present everywhere at all times with the same force. He's an amazing person. There's nobody like our God. When I first came to the Lord and when I was 18, I came across Hebrews 4.13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give account. So these creatures with eyes all around them, perhaps symbolically saying that here's the all-knowing God, the all-seeing God, and because he knows all and sees all, he can righteously judge the earth, and he's the only one that can. We can't righteously judge another person's motives why they do what they do. We do have the right to, to look at a tree and look at the fruit that it's bearing, but we don't know why a person's doing what they're doing. That is reserved for God and God alone. He is the righteous judge. And I think it's what it's bringing out right here. Verse seven, the first living creature was like, and then these living creatures had faces. Look at this. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And so these four living creatures, they represented the attributes of God symbolically. Perhaps the lion refers to God's majesty. The face of the ox on another one uh, speaking. An ox labor. An ox has patience. It plows. God works hard in making creation what it is. The face of man, God's intelligence. The face of the eagle is ultimate sovereignty. The early church fathers, and you can read this in a bunch of different places, but the early church fathers often, when they, they came across these, these four faces on these living creatures around the throne of God, they would ascribe these to Jesus in the four gospels. And uh, many of them saw Matthew, Mark, Mark Luke, and John uh, uh, through the faces of these living beings around the uh, throne of God. Uh, for instance, in the Gospels, Jesus in Matthew was, he represent, was represented as the lion, that is, kingly authority. And, and that's who Jesus was displayed as in the book of Matthew. And then Jesus in the book of Mark is represented as an ox, Jesus the suffering servant. And then Jesus in Luke represented as a man, Jesus the incarnate human being, the incarnate son of God. Then Jesus in John represented as the eagle there in these living beings, uh, speaking of, of, of his divinity. So now what is unusual was John... He saw these living beings with these four faces hundreds of years prior to this. Ezekiel was whisked up and saw heaven and saw God. And I just got to read this. It's really amazing. They saw the same thing. Now, that's uncanny. Hundreds of years apart. I looked, behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud was raging fire, engulfing itself. Brightness was all around Ezekiel 1-4. Uh, and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of a fire, see, God was light. Also from within came the likeness of four living creatures and their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. And he talks about their legs and their 
feet and they sparkled like bronze. And, and then in verse 8, the hands of a man were under their wings. And they, you know, and it talks about how they traveled. And, and then look at verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a face uh, of a man. Uh, each of the four had the face of a lion, uh, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. That's the same thing. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? So, wow, Ezekiel 10 is another manifestation of that. Let you read that in your own time. If, uh, Revelation 4, 8, go to the next verse. It says, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so, again, the idea of the eyes, uh, all-seeing, all-knowing, the omniscient, omnipotent God is in view again. This is what Isaiah saw. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was caught away in the spirit. Discerning of spirits manifest. Verse, uh, Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Which is talking about the glory of God. It's amazing that Isaiah saw in heaven and, and saw these beings there as well. Now these living beings, the four that are right around the throne of God on, on either side of it. They have to do with the holiness of God. And, uh, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In fact, uh, in the margin, this is a, a New King James Bible. In the margin of this Bible, and I have other reference Bibles uh, in, in my uh, possession, that when it says holy, 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 uh, the majority text in the Greek language really, really uses that word holy nine times, three times for each one time it's printed. So literally, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. What's it saying? Holiness and, and uh, Sean, just before service, we were talking about this. He's talking about the infinite holiness of God that never ends. What we don't understand Y'all listen, and maybe the whole reason for tonight, the one thing we don't understand in America about the God that we worship is that he has revealed himself with one word, holy. God, when God revealed himself to, to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he said, Moses, you take your shoes off for the ground that you're standing on is holy. See, God reveals himself. As a holy God. That, that word, both Hebrew and Greek, the word for holy means set apart. And that, it, it, means, it means that God is not like anything else that you can ever see in all of creation. He is set apart from creation. And these angels are around the throne of God, constantly giving attention to his holiness. Holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy is the Lord. In modern America, we've lost the holiness of God. 
We know that God is love, and people often tout the love of God. Well, God loves me, so he puts up with this. Or uh, You often hear it in that context. Well, God loves me, and he knows me. Well, God loves us, but y'all, his love is based on justice. And even though God loves us, we can't forget the fact that the loving God is also holy. And because God is holy, I mean, the, the first thing that Isaiah sensed When he got in front of the holiness of God, he said, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord of glory. The holiness of God made him aware of his utter sinfulness, his undoneness to come into the presence of this being that is so different than all of his creation. And we have forgotten that in America. And maybe God's got us all hunkered down in our homes, in our rooms, just to reveal himself to us in a fresh way. I'm holy and I want you to be holy. In fact, just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You can't even get into heaven without holiness being a part of your life. It's not something that we personally produce. Holiness is something that Jesus made us to be by his blood. Jesus' blood cleanses human sin. And when Jesus, when, when human sin is put up against the blood of Jesus, it's cleansed when there's repentance and faith. And that allows us to go to heaven. In Leviticus, just listen to the scriptures and what they say about the holiness of God. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. And here in Leviticus 11, he was talking about dietary laws and things they should touch and things they shouldn't touch. Things they should eat, things they shouldn't eat. And the whole reason he said it to the Old Testament people is because I'm different than the nations around you. They do all kinds of things, but I don't want you to do all these things because you're like, I want you to be like me. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be holy. He revealed in 1 Peter chapter 1, New Testament, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it's written, and again, that's a direct quote from Leviticus eleven forty four: Be holy, for I am holy. And then listen to 2 Corinthians 6. We're about done. Listen. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Cause the believer righteousness, the unbeliever lawlessness. What communion has light? Cause the believer light with darkness. Cause the unbeliever darkness. And what accord has Christ with Belial, that is, that is a false god, demonic things. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God caused the, the believer, the temple of God, caused the unbeliever an idol? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Why did God speak in those terms? Because he's revealing himself to the Corinthian believers there, Paul's talking to in Second Corinthians. He, he's revealing himself in the midst of a corrupt, depraved, pagan, sexualized culture as a holy God. 
And he told, he told his people, I don't want you to be like the cultures around you. Around you. And that's the reason God revealed himself. The best word that God could use to describe himself in the Old Testament was holy. All of the gods of the Canaanitish nations that surrounded Israel, y'all, they were perverse. They were nasty. The, these gods were worshipped with all kinds of, of uh, illicit sex. The worst things that you don't even want to, want to think about or hardly speak about. Unspeakable sexual sin was rampant throughout all of the cultures in the Middle East when God revealed himself as holy, that is, set apart. And he said to his people, I don't want you to indulge in those practices. And, and, and worshiping their pagan gods, they worshiped their pagan gods with sexual rituals. They worshiped their pagan gods in pagan temples around, around pagan idols with all kinds of sexual practices. All sorts. Uh, just nasty, nasty sex. Sex outside of marriage. Sex with priestesses in the temple. Sex with children. Pedophilia. Sex with animals. Uh, men having sex with men. Women having sex with women. Friend, these things are rampant in the world today. And God is revealing himself Again to the world as a holy God. Could it be that in the middle of this virus, this got the whole world locked down? Is God speaking to the populace of the world? And, he's, and is he saying, cut off your idols and be like me? Come out from among all this stuff and separate yourself. Because I want to be a father to you. Maybe God's speaking yet again today. Uh, in the same way that he spoke in uh, these years past. God wants us. How many know God wants us to be holy? And I believe he's speaking. Listen to this, Matthew 7, almost done. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that says, listen to Jesus. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Listen. Many, didn't say few. Listen. Many will say to me in that day, they're, they're, in, they're ready to go to heaven. Maybe they've left their bodies. They think the gates of heaven are, are going to open, and they're not. I don't know you, the angel may say. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? The many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. What do you do with that? You can't cut that out of the Bible. Those are the words in red. Those are the words of Jesus. Some people today are trying to discount the words of Jesus. That they don't count, they do count for us. God is holy. I don't know. Maybe you're watching me right now and Maybe you're involved in some of these things that God says are impure. Sex was created by God. We are a sexualized culture in America right now. Europe is sexualized. There are many parts of the world now sexualized because we've exported our nasty pornography in America to the world. And now the world is consumed with idolatry. It's consumed with this, these things. And God's saying, I'm holy and I want you to be holy. Maybe you're watching right now and, 
And maybe you've, got, you've become absorbed with some of the things in culture. Maybe you're living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you're not married and you're having sex. That's sin, my friend. You can't go to heaven living that way. Why? Because God is holy. That's how he reveals. He loves us. He loves you. But he's holy. And, and impurity can't come near who he is or it will be consumed. You may be in, uh, in any other kind of illicit relationship. The only kind of sex... God created sex. God created the sex organs. He created the male and the female. Listen. And he knew, he knew why he created it. He created it for procreation. He also created it to bring joy between a husband and wife in an institution God created in Genesis chapter 2 called marriage. When, when someone has sex in any way other than marriage... It's a violation of the holiness of God. And God can't let that person, if they continue in that behavior without repentance, they can't go to heaven because God is holy. These angels here are before the throne of God and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. God is crying out to every believer today, I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm holy. And he's asking us to clean ourselves up. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why did Paul say that? Because God, my friends, is holy. And you know what? You say, well, well I want things that the Bible says I can't have. Well, you know what? All of us at times want things that the Bible says clearly is a, are a violation of God's holiness. You say, well, what do I do? Cry out. Say, God, I want you. I want you more. I want to want you more than whatever this is. If you'll cry out, God loves you so much, he'll deliver you from whatever keeps you from him. If you're in a, an illicit, illicit sexual relationship and you're living in it without repentance, God's calling you away from that, my friend. He's calling you to be holy. He's calling you to himself. You say, well, I have all these urges and desires. Cry out and ask him to remove them from you and ask him to help you overcome them and cry out in repentance. Say, God, I want you more than anything else in life. You know what you'll find out? The grace of God, my friend, will come upon you. The presence of Jesus will come into you. And the holiness of God will begin to burn all of those desires out of you. He's a loving Father. Revelation 4 9, we conclude with this. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And so, again, uh, uh, one of the Bibles I have in my possession, New Spirit Feel Life Bible, uh, brings out the, uh, the, the um, Greek word for worship there, uh, proskuneo. It, it really means to lay prostrate and kiss. 
And it's an idea of, of intimacy with God. Worship is intimacy. And these angels were leading the 24 elders and leading those before the throne of God into an intimacy with the creator, the sovereign one, the one, the owner of all things. And, and, it, and they're saying he's the only one worthy to be worshiped in all of the universe. And you know, in Christian culture, listen carefully this, we don't worship angels, we don't worship saints, shrines, relics, or religious personages. We worship the one true God. Listen, I've traveled in other parts of the world, and I've seen relics that pagan religions have people worship in their homes, burning incense, laying flowers, putting a piece of fruit there. I've also seen, seen uh, some people who say they are believers who have idols in their homes, statues of saints, statues of angels. Those should never be. God said, I will have no other gods before me. I don't know about you. The only God that I want to worship is this God that John saw there when he looked up into heaven. The one who is holy. The one who the living creatures are crying out day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Chapter 4 here in the book of Revelation sets it up again. God is the sovereign one. He is the owner of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the ultimate sovereign in all of the universe. He is set apart from his creation. And he is so holy and pure. And he sees and knows all with his omniscience and omnipresent that he is the only one able to make all of the wrongs right and to and to give due justice where justice is due. He's the only one that can. Revelation 4 sets that up. When we come back next time, oh man, you need to hear this, Revelation 5. There's a scroll in God's right hand. We'll talk about what that scroll is, what's written on that scroll. What happens when that scroll is unrolled? That's the rest of the book of Revelation. Uh, of, of Revelation and chapter 4 sets it up.